Welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast, a podcast that will help you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. I'm your host, Carly Bartlett, and along the way, we're going to have some raw conversations and share some practical tips that will remind you to throw some confetti and celebrate yourself. Your inner critic does not have to be the dominant voice in your life anymore. Before we dive into this week's episode, I have to ask you, Have you taken my perfectionist character quiz? It is a brief three-minute personality assessment, which who doesn't love those? They're so fun. And at the end of the quiz, you will be matched up with a character from pop culture who has a lot of similarities to you. It could be Tiana from Princess and the Frog or Mary Poppins or Leslie Nope. I mean, so many fun options. But at the end of the quiz, when you're paired up with your character, you'll read about your perfectionist tendencies, some personality strengths, and I also include a few spiritual practices to help you as you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. It is one, super fun, and two, practically helpful, which are two of my goals for any resource that I create. So if you haven't taken the quiz, hop over to carlycommunicates.com resources now to take the quiz. Well, today we are going to have another fabulous conversation in our Enneagram series. And if you aren't familiar with Enneagram, just go back a couple of episodes and listen to the one with my friend Carissa Harrison, who is an Enneagram coach, and she gives us a bird's eye view of the Enneagram as a whole. But today we are zooming in to learn about the Enneagram 8. Yes, you heard that right. We're talking today about the Enneagram 8, and some of you may be thinking, Carly, what? You've been going in chronological order up until now. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, hey, why not, my friends? Why not? But truly, it's because we had some scheduling issues, and rather than stress about it, I just decided to ditch perfection. Hey! (laughs) And I just changed up the order. So don't worry. We will cover all of the Enneagram numbers in the series. So we have the episode on Enneagram 6s, 7s, and 9s to look forward to in future weeks. But today, my friend Hannah Helwidge is here to chat with us all about the Enneagram 8, what life is like as an Enneagram 8. She'll share with us the difference between transparency and vulnerability. And she also talks to us about how God has helped her realize that not only does God carry her burdens, but God also carries her. So good. But before all of that, let me give you just a quick background on the Enneagram 8. According to the Enneagram Institute, quote, eights are self-confident, strong, and assertive, protective, resourceful, straight-talking, and decisive, but can also be egocentric and domineering. Eights feel like they must control their environment, especially people, sometimes being confrontational and intimidating. Eights typically have problems with their tempers and with allowing themselves to be vulnerable. But at their best, they are self-mastering. They use their strength to improve others' lives, becoming heroic and inspiring. The Enneagram Institute also says that their basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others, and their basic desire is to protect themselves in order to be in control of their own life and destiny. But your EnneagramCoach.com adds to this, and I thought this was beautiful. And on that website, they say that in addition to the basic desire to protect themselves, Enneagram 8s also have a desire to protect those who are close to them. And finally, your EnneagramCoach.com also says that the message that 8s are longing to hear is this, you will not be betrayed. When moving in a direction of stress, eights move to fives, which was our episode last week, but they move to fives, which which means that they withdraw and may become obsessive about gleaning information as a means to control. But in health, eights move to two, where they let their guard down. They become more visibly compassionate and empathetic. 
So Hannah and I just have this great conversation about all of this. We dig into all of this and more. But before we hear from her, let me just give you a little bit of background on Hannah. Hannah Helwidge is the high school pastor at Fellowship Monrovia, which is a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church near Los Angeles. When she's not at church, you can find Hannah outside with an adventure on her mind, or on a couch with a good book in her hand, or at home with her husband cooking a new recipe. And as Hannah wrote in her bio, she says, yes, Hannah is aware that that was the cheesiest bio line you could ever read. (laughs) And when she said this to me, I just cracked up because... I mean, oh man, I think I'm like the queen of cheese. I love cheesiness. And yeah, yeah, I guess I when I said queen of cheese, I'm like, yeah, I guess I also really like cheese, like brie and oh my word, fresh mozzarella. So good. Okay, I'm going to get off on this cheese tangent if I'm not careful. So I'm going to pull it back, pull it back in. And now I am excited to dive into this fabulous conversation with Hannah all about the Enneagram 8. Well, hey, Hannah, welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. So glad that you are here. And for everyone listening that does not yet know you, would you just give us a little information about who you are and what you're up to these days? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Hannah. I live in Southern California. Um, It is as crowded and the traffic is as bad as everybody says it is. So that's where I am in the world. Um, I'm a youth pastor for high school students at my church, uh, which I love a lot. been a part of my church for a while and it's just a wonderful community uh, to be connected to. Um, I just got married five months ago, five months and a few days ago, which is such such a fun fun and exciting and challenging and beautifully hard new adventure to be a part of. Um, Yeah. Married in Enneagram too. I'm sure we'll talk about that more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I'm an eight on the Enneagram and that's, that's a huge part of who I am and and the types of things that I spend my time on. So a little bit about me. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to dig into all of that. So before we do though, tell us how you met your husband. Yes, we actually met um, in ministry, in a ministry context. So um, I'm a youth pastor now. My husband, before we got married, was a youth pastor for um, seven or eight years. And we met a few years ago at a summer camp that I was a preacher at um, that he had brought his uh, youth group to, to like participate in the summer camp. And that's how we initially connected. Um, We have a kind of a funny, I was not interested at all, (laughs) um, bad first impressions. (laughs) story for another time. Um, but yeah, we, we reconnected during the pandemic and started dating and, uh, the second impression was significantly better. So now there we're married. Go. Yeah. That's amazing. Yes. That's yeah. awesome. So fun. And the way that you and I are connected is through mm-hmm. the Women Speakers Collective in, yeah. was it 2018? Yeah. I, I always get mixed up on my years with that, but yeah, we were both in Long Beach for the Women Speakers Collective first ever mm-hmm. boot camp. And yeah. I still remember, Hannah, when you did your five minute talk, just mm-hmm. how incredible your talk was and your use mm-hmm. of metaphors. And you talked about like pregnancy and birthing. Mm-hmm. And and I still to this day remember that and just how beautifully you crafted that. So thank you for mm-hmm. even just impacting me in that five minute, five minute sermon that you shared. That's so sweet. Thank you, Carly. Yeah, I've never been pregnant, so hopefully it was all accurate. But (laughs) (laughs) that is funny. And we realized too at that event that my pastor, Scott Daniels, was your Mm -hmm. professor in school. Yes, I owe a lot of my um, preaching skills to Scott Daniels. So that's a fun connection to have for sure. I love that. He is so fun. So great. Okay, well, before we dive into Enneagram, a couple little things for us to get to know you a little bit more. So we'll do like a fast favorites real quick. So what's your favorite cereal? Ooh, Apple Jacks. Jacks. Yeah. I was okay. never allowed to have them growing up. They were like too sugary. And um, my family was very concerned with sugar intake, probably for good reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, that was like the the cereal that I envied when my, my friends had it at sleepovers. That is like, hilarious. Oh, what is that? So, okay. Yeah. Apple Jacks. That's uh-huh. funny. What's your favorite place you've ever visited? Ooh, um, it would either be Italy I loved mm-hmm. getting to visit Italy. Um, 
maybe seven years ago is when I went um, or Yosemite national park Um, kind of do two different spaces, but both just so stunningly beautiful. Yes. Yes. And what do you like to do? What are your favorite things to do on a day off? Yes. Sleep in um, (laughs) whenever possible. Yes. Um, Yeah. What do I do on my day off? I love being outside. So going on a hike with a friend or just going to a park to read, that kind of thing is really enjoyable. Um, I love hosting. So does my husband. So we like to host like game nights or have people over and make dinner together. um, That kind of thing. I do love reading. So just any random any random book I feel like I can enjoy. So yeah, those are a few things. Okay. That sounds like a pretty wonderful day off. All of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What's your favorite song of the moment? Ooh, gosh, that's so hard. I would say of the moment. Yeah. Because you can't pick one of like ever. That's too hard. Oh yeah. Certainly not. Um, one that I've been listening to a lot is Gyra by Maverick City Music. Yes. It's, yeah, it came out a few years ago, um, but their live version of that song is so phenomenal. And um, just a story about it, I'm a very nervous flyer. I hate flying. I love traveling, but I hate being on airplanes. Yeah. Um, really don't love heights. And it's just, it's a whole thing. And so I listen to that song like almost every single time mm. um, I'm taking off in an airplane. And yeah, so it's a, it's been a very like grounding song for me. Oh, I love that one a lot. I do too. I feel like the last year and a half, I, that's been the song I've probably listened to the most. Yes. Yeah. Not necessarily on airplanes, but yeah. <laughs> but all <laughs> the time okay. I just, in my car, I, I love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last fast favorite. What's your favorite cheesy movie? Ooh. Um, I don't know if this counts as cheesy, but I really love Miss Congeniality. Like yeah. I'm obsessed with that movie. I feel like I could watch it over and over end to end all day yes. and not get sick of it. So that yeah. is a good one. I am such yeah. a Sandra Bullock fan. My favorite cheesy yes. movie is While You Were Sleeping, which is also mm-hmm. with her. So yes, he's just the a queen. classic. Yep. (laughs) So fun. Well, let's dive into Enneagram. So you're an Enneagram eight. And will you just talk to us about what that process was like for you to discover that you were an Enneagram eight? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I first heard of the Enneagram when I was an undergrad. I went to Azusa Pacific University down here in Southern California. And one of the years, I think it was probably my junior or senior year, I had a friend who was really into it and was trying to get everybody else into it. We were like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, you know, look, this the symbol looks a little bit um, spooky. So maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe not. And at the time, um, Myers-Briggs was a really big deal on my campus. And the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment was yeah. also a really big deal. And so we um, talked a lot about those two particular like assessment type tools. And so when my friend was trying to bring another one into it, it was like, okay, like, I, you know, we get it. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we have enough already. Um, so it wasn't until grad school when I like actually took the test, started to read more about it. Um, yeah. And discovered that I am an eight. It's interesting though, when I, every time I've ever taken the test, um, any test, whether like a, a self-test or having somebody else like guide that process, I typically test as a three. Um, yeah, which is just interesting. I'm, yeah, obviously you're very familiar with the Enneagram, Carly, but yeah, I, I think part of it comes down to the test tends to rely more on behaviors than mm. on what's behind those behaviors, what's motivating yeah. them or what the intentions are. And a lot of my behaviors can seem three like, but mm-hmm. um the wounds of a three, the temptations of a three, kind of the internal narrative of a three does not resonate at all. So mm-hmm. I had been testing as a three, but then I, as I started to read books about the Enneagram and listen to podcasts, um, especially when Sleeping at Last did their series yes. on the Enneagram, I was like, I don't think, like, I don't really feel much like a performer or an achiever in in this sense of, of those words. And so, yeah, it was through... Um, yeah, through really diving into the content that I discovered, oh, the eight really resonates. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I was like, oh, I'm uh, embarrassed about eights. <laughs> and so uh-huh. I think that that's probably true of me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so 
discovered I'm an eight. Um, everyone in my life that knows me well is like, oh yeah, like why did why did you think you were anything other than an eight? Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it seems yeah, it's one of those numbers where it's like if you if you are that number, it's a little harder to mistype uh, in mm-hmm. my opinion than mm-hmm. than some of the other ones. But uh, I just love a checklist, so most people, uh, you know. Yeah, or most tests assume that I'm a three, but okay. in any case, yeah, it was around around grad school time, so six or seven years ago, discovered I was an eight, and the rest is history. So, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. when you start started discovering things about the eight and reading more about it and hearing more about it, what were the things that really resonated with you that you were like, okay, this is me? Yeah so much of it. Um, I think there's a level for sure, the intensity and the energy, uh, pieces of the Enneagram eight, like there's, there's truly just, it seems like an unending capacity to do and push forward. And that, that comes across as incredibly intense. And I've received that feedback throughout my entire life and now just have language to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those pieces resonated a lot. Um, the kind of like gut instinct to want to protect others um, also resonates a lot. I I am the oldest of two kids and as the oldest child, based on also some of just like my family story, um, I see a lot in myself of almost like a, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to jump to your rescue um, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, mom arm in the car, stick my arm out in front of you, yeah. metaphorically speaking, um, if you need protection in some way. So a lot of those protection pieces and that instinct resonated a lot. Um, I think also <laughs> some of the defiance of an eight and like the just oppositional stance towards most things in life, like the don't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we happen to agree on something, you know, then great, we'll be incredible teammates. But you know, don't tell me what to do. Don't don't control me. Yeah, Um, those pieces. I like reading that initially, I was like, Oh, wow, other people feel this way, too. (laughs) Turns Mm. out. Um, so those things resonated and then probably not certainly not last, but um, one of the other main things that resonated is all the all the stuff about like vulnerability for eights. I think vulnerability is hard for every number, for every type. Yeah. It's just expressed very differently. But mm-hmm. eights tend to have a very difficult time um, wanting to expose that to others or letting other people even gain the amount of trust required for us to mm. to expose that to others. So mm-hmm. a lot of those pieces too. And that's that's in that inspires the protection part that inspires a lot of the defiance. Like if I can just reject you before you reject me, then you never need to see the soft and squishy parts of my heart. Okay. Um, And then, yeah. And then I won't be wounded. So yeah, Mm -hmm. those are a few things that resonate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's all so interesting. So when you think about all of that, especially the vulnerability piece, Mm -hmm. how has God helped you grow in the vulnerability and letting other people in, in light of your um, Enneagram eightness? Yeah, totally. It's a great question one that I don't have any kind of polished answer for. So listening to this, expecting, you know, <laughs> a no, roadmap. I'm not the one that has it, but um, it is very much an ongoing process. I, I think a big healing message for me and, and for the other eights that I'm um, close with in my life, a big healing message from God is like, God will be the one to protect you. Like you, Mm. you don't have to protect you, Hannah, God will protect you. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of freedom and relief in that a lot of release as well. Like, okay, if, if, if God will protect me, if God is holding me, if God is the one who will provide for me and advocate for me, then like, I'm, I'm safe. I'm actually safe. And so I can begin to, um, then let other people really truly see me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. With that baseline foundation of like, God, God will source my safety. I don't have to source that for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I'm on in practical terms, it's taken a lot of therapy to be able to let people in, um, something that also might be helpful to 
distinguish here is like, I, it's really easy for me to be transparent and I really value transparency, but there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Hey, yeah. Um, Talk to us about that. Yeah. So like, it's easy for me to say like, oh, well, this is just what I really think about something like to share a transparent opinion or an experience or whatever. Um, But just because something is transparent or clear doesn't necessarily mean that it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so for myself and, and the eights that I know, it's, it's pretty easy for us to speak vulnerably about things that are not currently vulnerable, like something that happened in the past or um, some, yeah, something that's not immediately like pressing on Mm -hmm. any wounded part of our story. It's like, Oh, I can speak very transparently about that. And people, people have told me, Oh, you're such a vulnerable person. You're a vulnerable preacher. um, You're a vulnerable pastor, et cetera. I'm like, well, those things actually just don't feel that vulnerable to me. I'm Mm -hmm. speaking transparently about something that maybe used to be, but isn't currently. And so um, I think trying to, I'm, I'm learning currently how to close that gap. Um, Mm -hmm between transparency and vulnerability, because transparency is important, I think, especially for those of us in, in any form of ministry inside Uh or outside of the church, transparency is very important. Um, But yeah, uh, so is vulnerability. And it's a matter for me now of learning, learning to believe in my body and in my heart and not just in my mind that I am safe. And Mm -hmm. that even if even if someone <laughs> rejects my vulnerability um, and says, you know, that's weird, or I don't like that about you, or um, we can't be friends anymore since you said X, whatever it is. Yeah. Even if somebody rejects it, um, I am still loved and still worthy of love. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then also on the flip side of that, like learning healthy boundaries around the things that are vulnerable, like right. not everybody needs to know something that's vulnerable. There are certain people that definitely do, you know, my partner, my closest friends, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the boundaries piece is huge. The transparency versus vulnerability piece is pretty big too, but, Mm -hmm. but more than anything, just learning to actually trust, like I am, I am safe. I am, Mm -hmm. I'm okay. God will protect me. My community will protect me and they would be thrilled to do so. So yeah. 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 And I'm glad you mentioned that we don't have to necessarily and shouldn't be vulnerable (laughs) with everybody. And especially in like our lives as preachers, sometimes we Mm -hmm. may feel like we should be vulnerable with our entire congregation through a a sermon, but Mm -hmm. that may not be the best thing. Probably isn't if we're in the middle of it. So Mm -hmm. for you, how have you found a balance of vulnerability, but in a healthy way, especially in light Mm -hmm. of like being a preacher? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I heard somebody once, I wish I could remember who said this. I would love to give them credit, but I'll just say this is not originally for me. (laughs) Um, Credit where credit's due, whoever you are. But I heard somebody (laughs) once talk about um, as as preachers, but also just as leaders in general, a good distinction between should I share this or not is, is this wound still leaking? Mm -hmm. Um, Like if it were a physical wound that had some kind of fluid blood or pus or whatever, um, and I were to bring that on stage, would, would that be leaking onto the people that I am discipling onto the people that are receiving the word of God through a sermon? Um, And if it's, if it is leaking, it's probably not appropriate for that, even just at the bare minimum for that amount of people to be aware of. Um, Because if you expose a wound that is open to all kinds of other, you know, um, people or irritants or whatever, like it can get infected, it could not heal well, et cetera. And so, yeah, an an exposed wound is, is probably better suited for a small group um, Mm -hmm. for, yeah, your spouse or your partner, um, for your therapist, for sure, for your pastor or pastors, whoever's discipling you. Mm -hmm. But if it's not leaking, if it's not a wound that is um, actively open, then that can be actually really meaningful to share on stage. So, and that's not to say, you know, we need to wait until everything's better always to put on some kind of pretend face or put up some kind of facade that says, sure. I see, I have it all together or look what I made it through. But I, I think there is a real distinction between, um, yeah, what's, what's coming out of it is like, how, how opened is the wound? And if it's closer to healed or let alone, if it's more of a scar than an open wound, then like yeah. absolutely share vulnerably, mm-hmm. um, 
and let God use that. But yeah, I think that's, that's at least been very helpful for me, especially because I work with, I work with minors. And so the majority, the vast majority of people who hear me preach are under the age of 18. They are middle and high school students, mostly high school, but every now and then we'll do stuff with our middle school group. And, um, they are quite literally legally developmentally, et cetera, children. And so they, they need to see vulnerability and leadership, but they also need to see, healthy management of the things that are painful in life. Yes, and that means exactly. not necessarily sharing with everyone. So mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate too, that you said leadership in any context, because mm-hmm. in the business realm, in the classroom, you know, wherever people are working and serving and in relationship, we just have to be so wise as to who gets to be a part of that inner circle and the damage that vulnerability in unhealthy ways can do for us, but also to those that we're interacting with. Mm. So there's such, such good reminders for everybody listening in whatever context mm-hmm. that they're, they're in. Um, but talk to us a little bit more about uh, the Enneagram and how it's helped you in your close relationships. Yeah. Oh, it's been so helpful yeah. <laughs> in, in many ways. Um Yeah, I think, again, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but just having the language, let alone shared language with other people who are familiar with the Enneagram has been tremendously helpful um, to the point that I understand this can come across maybe as annoying in some circles, like people kind of tend to poke at the Enneagram when we talk about it a lot. But having that shared explanatory framework is just invaluable to say like, hey, as an eight, this, this is what this is pressing on, um, yeah. or this experience is landing a way that is totally not how you intended it. And I can acknowledge that, but like it, it does hurt or it does, it is irritating or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. the shared language has been very, very helpful. Um, also having a, a basic understanding of the stress and health or the integration and disintegration numbers yeah. is really helpful too, especially, I mean, I've been married for all of five minutes and by five minutes, I mean, five (laughs) months, it's very, very brief amount of time in the grand scheme of things, but it's helpful with my partner to know what to look for when he is stressed out. And when he's beginning to disintegrate, he's a two on the Enneagram. So he'll start to um, move more towards an eight because our numbers are connected. He'll start to be quite a bit more blunt. And um, I hesitate to say aggressive because what is aggression, you know, compared to mine, but in any case, (laughs) um, yeah, it's, it's helpful to begin to notice that in him and vice versa for him to notice when I'm disintegrating, I move towards a five and, and really tend to withdraw and like, let me just be alone. I need to figure this out all by myself and collect information to soothe my anxiety about whatever's in front of me. And then I can, it can kind of reintegrate. And that's a good warning sign for the relationships that I'm in, especially the closer ones. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To know, yeah, just to know what to look for in those seasons. So that is super helpful as well, in addition to the language. Um, And I think more than anything, how the Enneagram has really helped in my relationships has been with empathy. Um, Mm -hmm. Eights are very protective numbers. Um, I'm often described as like the mama bear of the group. So I think in some sense, I am, I'm empathetic, maybe just naturally. I mean, it was probably just part of my being created in the image of a loving God is, you know, maybe there's some empathy in all of us, Um, but my number isn't necessarily the one that you think of as empathetic. But the more I learn about the Enneagram, the easier it is for me to empathize with my friends um, when they're going through whatever it is they're going through. Um, mm-hmm. Or even if they're not going through something, it's it's so much easier to empathize and and realize like, oh, okay, like this is the this is the generally speaking, the childhood wound that made you the way you are. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so yeah, that that helps me see you like and really yeah. see um yeah. And, and connect a few more dots than I would have had been able to connect otherwise um, without this language regarding like how you're responding now and what what you're afraid of in this moment or what you're trying to prevent uh, from happening in this moment or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the empathy piece has been so huge, especially yeah. for the numbers that I um, am not connected to in any way and don't understand as naturally. Sure. So. 
That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So in moving to a two, I'm sure that there's a lot of that empathy part in there. What else does it look like for you to move to a two in, in health? Yeah. Um, there's definitely the empathy parts, like you said. Um, I think I'm just like in general a much more benevolent person. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I moved to two in health, like I think I I think I become more self-sacrificing. Um and nurturing for sure. I, I noticed myself like really longing to, um, like care for people, not just because they need protection from something and I can provide that, but because I just love them. Um, yeah, I, I feel, I I find myself like, yeah, just generally more mushy, um, Mm -hmm. when I move towards my two, um, but I think there's elements also of the other side of a two, the shadow side of a two that can show up, especially as person in ministry where sometimes the resentment can come in and it's like, I'm helping you and you didn't notice, or I'm, I'm helping you and you didn't say thank you, or you're taking advantage of that. And so I think there's, there's both sides to it, but for the most part, yeah, I just become um, more of a, maybe more of a pastor is a good way to summarize it, but mm-hmm. just more of like a benevolent, empathetic kind person. So mm-hmm. I love twos. I have a lot of twos in my life. My mom's a two. My husband's a two. My best friend's a two. Okay. All yeah. my respect to twos. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. So earlier you mentioned that eights oftentimes can be described as intense. Do mm-hmm. you feel like when you, when you say like, I'm an Enneagram eight or when someone finds out that you're an eight, that, 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 that sometimes you can feel misunderstood. How do you handle that? Yeah. Absolutely. I do. Um, I heard the authors of uh, the road back to you, which is Mm -hmm. such a, such a classic timeless book on the Enneagram. If anybody is looking for one, (laughs) um, I heard Ian, um, Morgan Crone, one of those two authors say once that like eights and especially female eights are perhaps the most misunderstood Mm. type on the Enneagram. I think fours want to be the most misunderstood in their pursuit of um, uniqueness and um, all of that beautiful stuff. But yeah, I I often feel misunderstood to say that. I think there's an archetype, there's an archetype and a stereotype of every Enneagram number, but especially the archetype of an Enneagram eight and be even beyond that a female aide is like, oh, well, you're just too bossy and pardon my language listeners, but you're a, and that's just it. And there's, you know, I'm not going to sit around and listen to why you're intense or figure out what you're trying to protect or prevent. I'm just going to just going to decide that you're a mean girl and you're Mm -hmm. always angry and I don't want anything to do with you. So yeah, that has been my experience. Um, ironically, mostly in Christian circles, I get that um, that sense of being misunderstood. Um, and I'm like, no, this is this is part of my image of God. Like this yes. is if yeah, if there are eights in the world, that means there's eightness to who God is, and mm-hmm. just as much as there's sevenness to who God is, and so on and so forth. Yes. But um, but yeah, how do I deal with it? Um. I often don't lead by telling people that I'm an eight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> except for in an instance like this where we're having a conversation about it on a podcast. But um, yeah, I often wait to share that information almost in an effort to protect myself from being misunderstood by like proving someone wrong mm. before they even have that information about me. Like, yeah. um, which is interesting then because especially as a person in ministry, a lot of times when people interact with me in ministry or on a team with me, they hear me preach, come to my youth group, whatever. And then after having experienced me in a number of capacities later, find out I'm an eight. A lot of times people are surprised. Mm. Um, yeah. And those are people who don't know me super well, but just experience me as a, as a yeah. pastor or preacher or whatever. But right. a lot of times they're surprised and they're like, oh, well, you're too nice to be an eight. Or um, you prayed for me that one time. So how could you possibly be an eight? <laughs> oh and I'm goodness. like, yeah, see you have, so this is why I didn't lead with it because you have a very clear idea in your head of what an eight is, this just wicked witch of the West. And there's no, yeah, there's no redeeming that. And so I kind of try to redeem it first before they find yeah. out, which it's a very pragmatic way to approach it. Not always possible in every relationship, but um, yeah. Otherwise beyond that, I have to remind myself, like even when I am like really misunderstood or um, misunderstood and then 
a, a judgment is made based on that misunderstanding or an assumption is made, I really have to remind myself what God says about me. Um, And that often requires asking people who know me really well, like, Hey, what does God say about me? Because so-and-so thinks I, yeah, am too bossy to be Mm. a pastor or they think that I'm, you know, my eightness is going to get in the way of X, Y, or Z. Um, And so I have to, yeah, call a friend. I'll often call a two in those moments and be like, can you tell me, (laughs) can you tell me what God says, please? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So if there are eights listening that do feel misunderstood, that Mm -hmm. are wondering like, how do I live into the positives mm. of this? What kind of advice would you have for someone that may be even feeling discouraged about being an eight? First of all, like be encouraged. The world does not turn without eights. Um, yeah. I believe there's there's an Enneagram eight at the center of like every good thing happening, maybe not the center, but, you know, deeply involved yes. in every good thing that we've seen in human history. Um, a lot of people say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was an eight. I've heard the argument that Mother Teresa was probably an eight that like, mm-hmm. yes, she was, she was so kind and nurturing and helpful, obviously. I mean, she's a saint for a reason and people often assume that she would be a two and maybe she is, we'll find out, you know, in eternity someday, but yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard the argument that like, uh, you don't have someone be that much of an advocate, that self-sacrificing, unless they have the drive um, and the protective instinct of an eight. So mm-hmm. all that to say, I would say to eights listening, like be encouraged. Um, your eightness is needed for the world to experience yes. shalom and for the world to flourish. Um, there are people that need to be protected. There are captives that need to be set free. And um, yeah, so as an extension of that, for those listening who are eights and who are also followers of Jesus, I would say like, this is, this is like a very large part of who God is Um, our protector, you know, shadow of his wings, all there's just verse after verse after verse of yeah. yeah, God's heart for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Um, God's heart, like he says in Luke 4, quoting Isaiah something. I can never remember where in Isaiah it is. But when Jesus opens the scroll and he says, this is what I came to do. It's set yeah. the captives free and proclaim good news um, mm-hmm. for the poor. Like you you don't get that without the energy and the, um, yeah, just like the the natural motivation towards those who, need protection of an Enneagram eight. So I would say, I see, I see so much of the goodness of eights in human history, in the Bible and who I know God to be, et cetera. Um, but also for the eights listening who feel misunderstood. Yeah. I would, I would just encourage, I would encourage them to find the people and they're probably already in their life. Um, but to find the people who can remind them, of who they are and who can kind of peel back some of the layers of the hard outer shell wrapped in barbed wire, you know, laser beams aimed at anybody (laughs) trying to get in. Like who are the people who have access to what's inside to like the mushy places in your heart um, who get to see you undone and, you know, armor taken off. Um, uh, yeah. And then find a way to invite those people in when you feel misunderstood to say like, mm-hmm. Hey, so-and-so at work said that like my comment was really harsh and abrasive. Like, first of all, do you see that in me? Was that actually true? You know, feedback is necessary, especially for right. those of us who have a tendency to come off a way that we don't intend. Um, feedback is necessary, but also like, help me, help me see this clearly through someone else's lens. I think mm-hmm. those of us who are eights have a very difficult time um, taking our eight goggles off and seeing the world through any other lens. And so having people who know us well and who know our hearts, um, who can help us do that and who can do that for us when we are just not able to is critical. So I would yeah. I would share that with the eights listening as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all so good. So important. I love that. Yeah. I hope people are feeling encouraged that are eights that are listening. Mm-hmm. So how have you felt like the Lord has ministered to you really specifically knowing how you are wired as an eight? This is a very specific example um, of how God has ministered to me and, and really is in this season as well. But um, a lot of my 
a lot of my specific eightness shows up as like a hyper responsibility and this feeling that like the actual entire world is on my shoulders, which I know cognitively, I can cognitively assent to the idea and agree with the idea that it is not, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, um, if it's going to get done, if it's going to get done well, it it has to be me, um, which maybe is eightness, maybe is, is just being a woman um, in 2020. I don't know. But in any case, yeah. um, that a lot of my eightness is expressed that way of like, I, I have to do it. I'll go first, a lot of pioneering pressure that I put myself, put on myself, et cetera. And so one of the ways that God has specifically ministered to that, um, this happened a few years ago before the pandemic, but I was just journaling and I don't normally like, I don't normally just like kind of cherry pick verses in the Bible for my quiet time. I'm like usually reading through um, a book and like really digesting an entire chunk of the Bible at a time or in, in a specific season, instead of just being like, ah, I feel like looking in the Psalms today or whatever. Some people right. can do that. I, it's not helpful for me, but in any case, this particular day I did. And I found myself on that verse that said, you know, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares mm. for you, you know, something, something like that. First Peter, I'm a bad pastor. I don't know where it is, but somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in there. <laughs> and, um, I ended up just journaling. I was like, okay, God, like, let's see if you mean it. And so I just started writing down all of these things that felt really burdensome, like things that I felt like I had to be carrying. Mm. And in that experience, um, just heard the sweetest, most gentle whisper of the Holy spirit saying like, I'm like, not only will I carry these things for you, you don't have to carry them, Hannah, but also like, I will carry you. Like, Mm. it's not just like unload all of this, so that you feel lighter, like you will also be carried and held. And that was so sweet and so wonderful. And so now it's actually like in many ways reshaped my, um, my time of doing devotions or, or quiet time or whatever, whatever phrase you want to use for me and Jesus in the morning. Um, I mm-hmm, usually mm-hmm. start now by just casting my cares. Like, God, I can't even, I can't even read whatever story in the gospel we're on today, I can't do that because I feel like I'm carrying so many things. So let me just put all of this down Mm. and then also put myself down um, to be held. And then I can, yeah. And then I can like keep moving. So yeah, that's one thing that's been so helpful for me Mm. is really seeing God as my protector um, and my carrier. Uh, I guess that Mm. would be the, yeah, the noun version of that, but Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And the tendency to feel like you have to carry everything. Do you feel like Mm -hmm. there's any sort of like perfectionism tied in there? Or do you feel like perfectionism shows up in other ways in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. I do think there is. um, And I also think it shows up in other ways too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Perfectionism for me, and uh, hopefully I speak for at least a few other eights when I say this, but perfectionism for me is not so much about... um, whether or not I do something the right way and there's only one right way to do it, but like whether or not I do something as best as it can be done um, in the moment. So maybe that distinction doesn't seem super major, but it perfectionism almost feels more like competition to me Mm -hmm. as an eight. Like Mm -hmm. it shows up more as like, all right, I understand the rules and what you told me to do, but look at how much better this is. Like I win kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think um, when it comes to feeling like the weight of the world is on my shoulders, the perfectionism in that in that is like the weight of the world is on my shoulders, and I will show you I actually can carry it because setting it down is not an option, or being vulnerable is not an option, mm-hmm. or letting you see me weak is not an option. And so I just have to keep moving. And I think that's where a lot of our kind of force of nature energy comes from as eights. Um, but it's really fueled by this drive to like, I must, like, I just absolutely must do it. Um, but as with all forms of perfectionism, like that's a very self-imposed must, like nobody told me, Mm -hmm. nobody told me I had to carry all this. Nobody said, um, yeah, that they're going to abandon me if I don't. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it is tied to that and, and perfectionism too also, shows up for me, at least as an eight in, yeah, just in terms of like impact in general. Um, Mm -hmm. 
am I making as much impact as I possibly can? It's are very concerned with impact um, in, in different capacities for different people in different seasons and different parts of the world, of course. But um, yeah, I'm like, am I, am I making more impact than I did last week? Am I making more impact than yeah. I did the year before? And so again, it, it feels very competitive sometimes with myself, sometimes with others, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have a tendency to say yes to way too many things yeah. um, because I think that I need to. Um, and that I think I, I often think not consciously, but I think the unconscious thought behind it or belief behind it is like, if I don't say yes to this, it's not going to be as good or as impactful or as excellent or whatever Mm. as it needs to be. Therefore I must be the one to lead that project or plan that event or, you know, whatever it is, which is all not true. <laughs> it's just not true. And I, I understand that it's not true, but yeah, it's, it's hard when it feels like those beliefs are in your body. Um, yeah. like, Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll sign up for that committee or yes, I'll help mm-hmm. you out with this thing or whatever. Yeah. And I have no capacity for it whatsoever, but, right. um, but yeah, I, it almost feels like that perfectionism of like, well, if I did it, if I did it for you before, I need to be able to do it again. Or if I had capacity for it a year ago, then I need to make a way to do it again um, because I don't want you or you individual, you people, whoever it is, I don't want you to change your mind about how impactful you think I am. Mm. Um, And so I have to keep showing up in every way that I have in other seasons. And so, yeah, perfectionism is very connected to margin and capacity for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like a general inability to say no and set healthy boundaries and working on it. Um, If my therapist happens to be listening, I'm working (laughs) on it, but yeah. So that's not a specific story. I apologize, but um, yeah, that kind of thing happen almost weekly for me. So, well, just to affirm you, I mean, when I reached out to see if you would be a guest on the podcast, you said, I'm really trying to be wise about my yeses. So can Mm -hmm. I think about it for a couple of days and get back to you? And when you wrote me back, I was like, or when you wrote that, I thought, oh my goodness, way Mm -hmm. to go, you know, because I need (laughs) to learn to do that in my own life. And so then when you came back and said, yeah, I feel like I can do this. I was just I obviously thrilled, but also mm-hmm. just so grateful for your wisdom to not ha- feel like you had to say a quick yes. Mm-hmm. And so often I think for us perfectionist types in many different Enneagram neighborhoods, we yeah. feel like we have to say a quick yes for totally. a variety of motivations. And so for mm-hmm. you to not feel the pressure to do that, or at least not be drug into the pressure of that <laughs> and, and put up some ba- boundaries, I think is really healthy. So thanks for mm, demonstrating thank that you. in our communication. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it. That is one of the first times I've done that. So I am glad that well, yeah, it was received well. So thank keep you. Keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes. Well, before we dive into our last two segments, is there anything else about the Enneagram eight that you wanted to share that mm. we haven't yet covered? Um, Yeah, I think this has been said a lot of eights. It's in a lot of Instagram posts and memes and et cetera. But I I do think it's helpful to hear it from an eight. We really are just teddy bears um, wearing like armor on the outside. Like we're just teddy bears wrapped in like a cement suit. Um, But yeah, I think people say that they're like, oh, eights actually are really soft. And I'm like, we are, but let us say it about ourselves. You know, like don't tell, you know, you don't tell me that I'm soft. I say that I'm soft. Um, But I do, I do really think that is true. And it's helpful for me, even in the relationships that I have with other eights, like the senior pastor at my church is an eight and we've butted heads in seasons because we're both very intense and believe things very strongly and have a lot of energy, like an endless amount of energy to argue um, mm-hmm. as an expression of like, wow, I feel close to you. So we can, we can get really intense. This is great. Yeah. Um, but even in the seasons, yeah, when we like fundamentally disagree on something and are arguing, I have to remind myself like, oh, he's also an eight. There's something, there's something soft and squishy yeah. that he is trying to protect right now. And how do I, yeah. How do I change the tone of this conversation or end the conversation and revisit it? And that might be necessary sometimes, but how do we shift this so that we can 
not only for the sake of volume and every, anybody who's witnessing it, you know, not feeling overwhelmed, <laughs> but how do we, yeah. How do we talk about what we're, what we're actually talking about and mm-hmm. um, really see each other and the softness that's inside. So mm-hmm. I think maybe that is helpful for somebody out there who's, especially people who are in close relationships with AIDS. And it's like, I don't get why you're mad all the time. It's usually, it, it is for good reason. We're not great at articulating it, but it, there's something in there that we're trying to guard. And yeah, the more trusted you are by an eight, the more likely you are to be able to access that. And it's mm-hmm. usually really beautiful and like yeah. innocent and pure and, and good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So I won't forget that the teddy bear with a concrete suit. I won't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. I can just picture it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Hannah, we always on the podcast like to have a celebration moment because so often mm-hmm. we can be really hard on ourselves and critical. Mm-hmm. And so just to like stop the train and give thanks and celebrate, I think is really yeah. important. So how can you celebrate you in this season? Yeah. Um, I think I want to celebrate my protective instinct in the season, yeah. especially as a youth pastor. Um, it's, I can only imagine how hard it is to be a teenager in 2022 in this world. I'm like, oh my gosh, just the, the computer of information you have in your pocket at all times and the mm-hmm. constant comparison and all of that. I, um, I, as a youth pastor, I work with Gen Z um, daily and my heart just breaks for the things that they're experiencing. And so I think I want to celebrate my instinct to want to like protect them both by like giving them spaces where they can just be kids and not be, um, yeah, not be pressured into being whatever the world says that they need to be, but also protect them by like equipping them and discipling them to become the fullness of who God has created them to be so that they can, yeah, go off into the world and have a fighting chance at, um, yeah, at facing whatever comes their way. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I want to celebrate that one silly story. This is this, I say, I like said a meaningful thing and I'm going to share a silly story about my protective instinct, but this just happened at our youth group last week. Uh Um, so we were meeting and like our, our building's great, you know, um, it's not the fanciest building in the world, but it's not, run down in any way. But for some reason, there was a cockroach in our church last week and it just like scurried across the floor out of nowhere. I'm sure we're up on our pest control, but yes. apparently not um, in this moment. And so this like cockroach just scurries by and I'm talking with a student and a leader. And I just like, without thinking about it was like, ah, and like jumped on it. Not not with my hands, but like just stepped on it and crushed it. And then like picked it up and threw it away. And the leader and the student were like standing there with like huge eyes, like what, what just happened? Um, and I was like, Oh, well there was, there was a cockroach. And so I had to kill it. Like I just, it was like instinctive to protect you guys from this disgusting yes. little thing that there's no way God created, um, <laughs> from Satan, I swear. But, um, but yeah, just as like a silly, image of like yes. that like eights are moved like that like if i was by myself i probably would have been like ah like no i don't want to touch that i don't want to get it on my shoe yeah new shoes um <laughs> i certainly don't want to then like pick it up with the tissue but with someone else there that i cared about it like just yeah it it happened without me thinking and that instinct I see showing up in who I am as a pastor for mm-hmm. this next generation. And I, yeah, I want to celebrate that. So yes, definitely. Yeah. We celebrate that with you. And I think you're right. It's so important for us to be there, to be protective, to be empowering, to be encouraging to younger people. And like you said, the Gen Z, the Gen Zers are like going through it and it is mm-hmm. an intense, intense season of life. So they're blessed to mm-hmm. have you as their, as their friend and a guide in the season to walk with them. Well, lastly, Hannah, we like to do a face palm moment, just a <laughs> yes. funny story, a mishap to just remind ourselves not to take ourselves too seriously. So do you have a face yes. palm moment for us? I do. And it's kind of connected to being an eight. Uh, a lot of us as eights like to just make things happen. 
And if there's a barrier or an obstacle, it's just meant to be moved or plowed right through. Um, and I think that's where some of the intensity comes from. Uh, when I was in college, this is before I even knew I was an eight, but in hindsight, it all connects. Uh, yeah. I was get grabbing breakfast before a very early morning class. And so I'm in the cafeteria at my school and it was relatively crowded, but I was there by myself. And so I had toasted a bagel and put cream cheese on it and got my cup of juice. And so my hands are full and I see a table that only has one chair at it, like kind of a bistro cafe table. So I'm like, perfect. I'm by myself. Yeah. It's a great place to sit. Um, and instead of like taking the long way and, and walking around, I decide I can absolutely fit by squeezing in between these two occupied larger tables that are like fully, yeah, fully occupied. There's people sitting all the way around <laughs> them. And so I was like, oh, I'll just make a way. I'll just go through. This is obviously the shorter route. So we'll just make it happen. Um, but then as I was squeezing through my bagel, which was toasted and sitting on a glass plate, slid right off and landed cream cheese side down in the lap of a very attractive um person who was, I was an underclassman. They were oh, upperclassmen no. at the time. And I was like, oh, there's not there's like no way to fix this to like, if you spill on someone, you can like get them a towel, but I'm like, I'm not, my, my bagel sitting in your lap, cream cheese onto your jeans. This yes. is not good. Oh, I should have no. just gone around. <laughs> I should have walked around. I should have just done it the right way and slowed down for once in my life. But, um, yeah, that is a classic <laughs> one. And that could yes. be in one of those, you know, 90s movies that we were talking about earlier. Yes, that's how it felt. Absolutely. I can picture it. That's amazing. So good. (laughs) Well, Hannah, thank you so much for being here and everything that you shared with us. If people want to connect with you outside of this podcast and pick your brain more or connect with what you're doing um, in ministry, how can they do that? Yeah, probably the best way would be Instagram. My handle, I just changed it. So let me remember it. New last name. My handle is Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, the biblical way, the palindrome way. Um, Hannah.Hellwidge, that's H-E-L-W-E-G-E. So yeah, that would be a good way to connect with me. And then if the conversation blossoms into a phone call, we can go from there. But yeah, Instagram's a great way to find me. Awesome. Sounds good. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much. It was great to chat with you and I just appreciate you a lot. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much to Hannah for sharing so many wonderful, meaningful insights with us today. This conversation was impactful to me and I'm sure that it was probably impactful for you. And if that was the case, then I would encourage you to reach out to Hannah and let her know. You can find her, like she said, on Instagram. Well, here are our 10 key takeaways for today's episode. Number one, Hannah said this, and I want you to hear this in your experience today, that God says, I will be the one to protect you. You don't have to protect you. Number two, there is a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Number three, if your wound is still leaking, get help. Talk to people who are close to you, counselors, small groups, close family and friends, people who can support you in your healing journey. Don't hide or suppress the wound because isolation and hiddenness only make a wound fester further. But also, as we talked about today, if it's leaking, it is likely not appropriate for the masses. Number four, if there are eights in the world, which yes, there are, then that means that there is eightness to who God is. Number five, ask people to remind you who you are and what God says about you. Number six, Enneagram eights help us all live into Isaiah 61. And I just want to read verses one through the first part of three over you. In light of what Hannah shared with us today, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And like Hannah said, Jesus proclaimed these very words as he was laying out his mission on earth. And that's the mission that we're invited to as well. 
And so I love that, that reminder that eights really inspire us and help us live into that Isaiah 61 life and calling. Number seven, invite people in when you feel misunderstood. Ask them to help you with feedback, but also with seeing things more clearly. Have people who help you take off your eight goggles, but truly for all of us listening with all sorts of numbers and all the Enneagram neighborhoods, we need people in our lives to help us take off our particular numbered goggles as well. Number eight, perfectionism shows up as competition for eights and also in wanting to make a significant impact. Number nine, you don't have to say a quick yes. And number 10, eights are very soft and tender and sometimes what you see on the exterior is often guarding something meaningful on the inside. Well, for today's prayer prompt, I want to revisit 1 Peter 5, 7 and what Hannah shared with us. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. And so I invite you this week to write down all of your anxiety, all of the things that you feel like you're carrying, those burdens, write them down. Take the time to bring them before the Lord and realize that he will carry those things. But as Hannah reminded us, not only will God carry these things, but God will also carry us. God will carry you. And so remind yourself of that this week and hear God saying to you, I will carry you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. I just love being on this Ditching Perfection journey with you. And if this podcast has been encouraging to you, first of all, share it with family or friends that you feel like would benefit from hearing this episode. But also, I would appreciate your support in a new way. You can now link arms with me by supporting the podcast monthly through a small donation. Even $4.99 a month would be just super helpful as we work to create new episodes. So thank you, thank you for linking arms with me. And if you would like to be a monthly supporter, you can do that by clicking the link in the show notes. Well, I will see you next week for another episode in the Enneagram series. And what number will we be talking about next week? Hmm, I think I'm just going to keep you guessing. <laughs> well, bye for now, friends. See you next Tuesday. Bye.